Hello, welcome to the Hope Knoxville Sermon and Teaching Podcast. We are a family of small, Jesus-centered communities that meet in homes throughout the city of Knoxville, Tennessee. Our desire is to help people to know Jesus, His mission, and how He invites us to participate in it. Our communities come together on Sundays for a time of worship, teaching, and conversation. In this podcast, you will hear a teaching from one of those gatherings. I hope you enjoy it, and most importantly, I hope it helps you to see Jesus in a new way. To learn more, please visit hopenoxville.org. Thanks for listening. God, I'm just uh, so grateful um, that we can come together this morning, look at your word. God, I pray um, that as we continue our journey through Acts, that we would uh, just gain a better understanding of who you are, um, who your son is, who Jesus is, and who uh, and what the church is called to be, God. Um, I pray that uh, we would see uh, these pictures of the early church and we would be inspired Um, to just live lives that better reflect who Jesus is and that we, our communities, uh, collectively would uh, better reflect Jesus to the world around us. I'm grateful for everyone here who does that uh, so well already um, and uh, who you are using in great ways. And I pray that we can just continue um, to celebrate that with one another, to share stories about how you're using each one of us uh, and to continue to... Um, grow in our wisdom and knowledge of of who you are. So guide us today as we look at your word. Uh, Fill us with your spirit. May we just hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin by telling you a little bit about this guy named Paul Hebert. Uh, Paul Hebert uh, it was a cultural anthropologist and a Christian minist- uh, missionary who died in 2007. Okay, so um, he arguably has had the greatest influence on how uh, we do missions overseas as well as uh, here in America. Um, and and uh, he takes an anthropological approach. So he deals a lot with culture and customs and how people uh, engage with one another in different places of the world. I was first introduced to Paul Hebert during my time at Trinity. He was actually a professor there uh, years, years earlier. Um, and he's had a great influence on, on that space as well. Uh, we even have uh, a whole department uh, chair named after uh, Paul Hebert um, in the seminary. So Paul, uh, he lived a fascinating life. He was born in India. He was American, uh, but born in India in the early 1930s. His parents were missionaries in a rural village in India. Um, And he moved to America for college. So he spent most of his childhood in India growing up. Um, And but when he moved to America, he he studied all sorts of things. He was incredibly intelligent. He got degrees in math and statistics and cultural anthropology, as well as theology and and biblical studies. Uh, He became both a missionary and a professor. All right. So he taught at a, a number of seminaries, including Trinity. Um, but he, he went through a pretty 
radical transformation and change in his thinking when he came back to America. He began to reflect on his upbringing in India, his experience there with the missionary community, and began to, began to become uh, really critical of the way that um, that community gathered uh, with one another and gathered people from the village um, and, and just the way American missionaries in general engaged with culture. He never lost his faith, but he uh, grew very dissatisfied um, with the way Jesus had been presented uh, his whole life. Okay? So he loved Jesus. Um, he, in fact, grew more and more in love with Jesus as he went through on this journey, but he was just very uh, dissatisfied, uncomfortable, disappointed in the way that uh, the Jesus, Jesus and Christianity had always been presented. He thought back to the many people he knew in India, not the American missionaries, but the locals, the Indian people. And he remembered uh, many people who showed a lot of interest in Jesus and actually were very attracted to Jesus. But at the same time, we're, we're rather repulsed by the idea of joining the Christian community or becoming Christian. And their repulsion had nothing to do with Jesus, but everything to do with that community and the tradition as it was presented to them. For the Indian people, their culture was so steeped in Hindu tradition and thinking that it would mean changing everything about their lives in order to be a part of this community that the American missionaries were setting up. To become Christian didn't mean just following Jesus. It meant abandoning all their culture and tradition and heritage, celebrating different holidays and festivals, dressing differently in order to fit in with the community, uh, singing Western music. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Hebrew music, but if we were told, hey, you have to sing uh, Hebrew music in order to be a Christian, I'm sure all of you would not want to do that. It's probably not your style. Um, but all this stuff, like it would be to us, was very unappealing to these Indian people, even though Jesus was very appealing. So Paul Heber, he began to realize that, and it was troubling to him, that these American missionaries, his parents and, and many others who he knew throughout his lifetime, when they moved into these foreign cultures, they weren't just bringing Jesus, but with it, they were importing all this Western um, uh, culture, and, and uh, modernism and all this stuff that really had nothing to do with following Jesus. So the question that Paul Hebert began to ask was, is there a different way of doing this? Okay, is there another way uh, to form communities around the person of Jesus that aren't so tied up with a particular culture that it excludes uh, people who would otherwise want to follow Jesus? Is there a way that in Hindu Indians can follow Jesus without totally abandoning their culture that happens to be steeped in a particular tradition? Is there a way for Muslims who live in a theocratic uh, Muslim country that's, that's dominated by Muslim culture and tradition, is there a way for people in that context to follow Jesus without totally abandoning that culture or being removed from that culture? Can they exist in that culture, engage in the rhythms of life, and follow Jesus? These are the questions that Paul Hebert began to ask. So he took his knowledge of, of scripture and the Christian mission, uh, particularly his knowledge of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with people, um, 
and he paired it with his knowledge of math and statistics. Okay, remember, he was a, he was a math nerd. He, he loved math. So uh, he, he took this concept that comes from statistics, and I, I'm not really going to go into that. I don't fully understand it, actually, from a statistics um, uh, perspective. But he, he used that to explain how we gather people around you. Some of you have seen this before, um, but I just couldn't help but talk about it based on this passage that we're talking about today. So the way he, he started thinking about these communities, well, first he, he thought of uh, his community back in India that he was a part of and, and communities that he'd been a part of throughout his life. And he felt that they were, could be described in this way. So if you think of, uh, you know, you have a set in math, you may have a set of numbers and you want to group numbers together, so you set up parameters uh, to those numbers. So even odds, um, you know, uh, there's lots of others. I'm not going to list others because I can't think of them. But you have parameters for these numbers. If a number meets those parameters, it's in, okay, in the group. Okay, if a number fails to meet all those parameters, it's out of the group. This is called a bounded set. Has anyone heard of this before, like outside of what I've talked about in math? Okay, maybe you can explain it better from a math perspective. But anyway, what, what Paul Hebert uh, realized is that this is kind of how Christian communities seem to work. You have this set of parameters, behaviors and beliefs that are required of someone. Uh, they have to meet these parameters in order to be in, in order to be included. Okay, and some of those parameters are good things founded in Scripture, founded in, in what Jesus says. Um, but then a lot's added on, right? So, I mean, even here, I was talking to a guy yesterday at Water Angels that he said growing up, uh, there, was, there was this, he, he went to a church, a Baptist church here in town, and a UPS driver would come in on Wednesday nights to their, their small group. And he, he was on his route, so he was dressed in all brown with shorts, UPS driver. And he'd come in to the church and just sit in the back. Uh, he'd come in after it started and leave after it ended. And what would happen is uh, no one really realized he was there, and it wasn't until the pastor saw him that he went over to him in the middle of the service and said, hey, you can't come back if you don't dress appropriately. If you don't put on pants, you know, button-up shirt. Okay, the brown UPS suit with the shorts wasn't cutting it. Okay, that's an extreme parameter for being a part of the community. But we have others, right? In, in, um, you know, in European countries, no one has an issue with people having a, a beer, having wine, whatever that is. But, but there's a lot of churches around here that you, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't hang with people that do those things, right? So there's parameters that we set up, and we can come up with a lot more. But what happens is we make these lines thicker, we add to these parameters of what makes someone in and what makes someone out, and then we begin to not engage with people who are out. And it doesn't become so much about Jesus, it becomes about fitting inside the box. Okay, so what Paul Hebert was seeing is in these, these Hindu Indian people, the missionaries were more concerned uh, at shaping them in their image, okay, the image of this Western Christian missionary, rather than the image of Jesus, how that might have been expressed in a Indian Hindu culture. Okay, does that make sense? So, but there's another way of thinking about numbers, and, and Paul Hebert thought about Jesus and thought about the, the teachings of Jesus and, and thought that this may be a better way of, of thinking about the Christian community and the types of communities that Jesus wanted to form. So it's called a centered set. 
And in a centered set, when you think about numbers in a centered set, the numbers aren't character characterized as in or out, but as uh, in, in their movement towards or away from the center. So you have, in, in terms of the community, you have Jesus at the center. And then you have people that may be far from Jesus, may be close to Jesus, uh, may look like what we would call a Christian, may not look like what we would call a Christian. And Jesus isn't so much concerned with the behaviors and beliefs that that person uh, shows in that moment, but he's concerned with their movement towards or away. So you might have someone that's way out here that wouldn't be welcomed in a church, wouldn't feel comfortable in a church, but they are open towards Jesus. They are moving towards Jesus. They are seeking him. And then you have someone that grew up in the church, has it all figured out, uh, can walk the walk and talk the talk, but they're, they're disconnected. They're moving away from Jesus. They're thinking more about themselves than about others. Uh, and, and internally, they are separated from Jesus. So what Jesus is concerned about and, and what we'll see in this passage here uh, that Peter comes, in, uh, comes to a realization of is that we don't need to be so concerned about in and out. What we need to be concerned about is what is God doing in people's lives and how is he drawing them closer to themselves, regardless of how it looks. And how can we be a part of that journey as we go on our own journey? So I want you to uh, think about your experience in church or your experience with Christianity in general. What are the behaviors and the beliefs that preclude someone or prevent someone from engaging fully in the Christian community? Okay, not all of them necessarily bad. I'm just, I'm just, I want you to think about what are some of these things that, that we say, if, if this person isn't acting in this way or doesn't believe these things, they aren't actually a, a Christian. Okay, and we got to think about those. Um, so maybe you're getting some in your head. Um, again, some may be, uh, you look at scripture, it might be a reasonable thing to think. And some may be totally out there. Uh, we've added on. Um, you know, all, all this stuff, but uh, we need to understand those, those parameters, those, those boundaries that we've set and really think about, um, would it be possible to embrace someone fully, even if they didn't meet those behavior and belief parameters? Is it possible to invite someone into the Jesus community so that they can experience and follow Jesus and go on this journey of discipleship with them, even if those belief and behavior guidelines aren't met at that point, or maybe for some of them are never met. We have to ask those questions. And I think this is the question that Peter was faced with uh, in our passage that we have today. So I'm going to read through the passage um, in <clears throat> two sections. The first one's a little bit shorter and we'll talk about it uh, a little bit of a longer passage. So we'll move through pretty quickly. Um, but as, as we're, uh, we're thinking about the passage, we're going to be referencing uh, these two ways of thinking about communities. <clears throat> so starting uh, in Acts 10, uh, verse 1. Now I'm going to read through verse 8. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. 
What is it, sir? He asked the angel. He actually calls him Lord, which is significant. We'll talk about that in a minute. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So a couple of things we want to draw from this, uh, this section here. Uh, number one, Cornelius has this posture of openness towards God. Okay? And we'll see in a moment uh, that even though he doesn't know about Jesus, he's, he's going to have a posture of openness towards Jesus. Okay, it says he's a God-fearer. And I think, I think it was last week we talked about, yeah, the Ethiopian eunuch was also called a God-fearer. I defined that a little bit last week. Just a reminder, this is someone who's not ethnically or practically Jewish. Okay, meaning they, they're not born Jewish, so they're not ethnically Jewish, and they can't convert to Judaism because they are unable or unwilling to uh, observe all the customs and practices that are necessary to become a Jewish person. Okay, for the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he couldn't be circumcised. Sorry, he couldn't travel to the temple to, to make sacrifices and, uh, and worship God. Uh, same with this Roman soldier. My guess is he was living very much in the Roman culture and would by no means qualify as a Jewish person by the way he was uh, living his life. But he feared God. He believed in the Jewish God. Uh, and and, and, and uh, it says he, he gave to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. So he believes in Yahweh, the Jewish God, but is not included in God's family. Okay, so he is on the outside of this box in terms of how the Jews think about family of God. Okay, Cornelius is on the outside. But clearly his belief in God has caused him to live radically, a radically different life than the typical Roman. I mean, giving generously to the poor, praying regularly to God. Uh, when this messenger from God shows up, okay, the angel is a messenger, he calls him Lord. Okay, this is significant because we know uh, that for, for the early followers of Jesus, they called Jesus Lord. But for Romans, Lord was a term reserved for Caesar. Okay, Caesar was this human deity and they would call Caesar Lord. Okay, so to call someone else Lord, again, the translation that I read says sir, but he says Lord. Same word they use for Jesus, same word the Romans use for Caesar. Uh, shows this openness he has towards God. So we see a man who was sworn to serve and fight in the name of Caesar, okay, this human deity figure. Again, they worshiped Caesar among all the other Roman gods. He's showing a significant amount of openness here, openness to God. And you see him turning away, okay, from Caesar and from uh, worshiping these Roman gods and, and turning towards God, calling him Lord, even if he's not fully understanding what that looks like and what that means. So number one, Cornelius has this posture of openness. Number two, God has accepted Cornelius, okay, even though his people have not. Look at what the messenger says to, to uh, Cornelius here in the passage. He says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received as an offering to God, as an offering, okay? Offerings were something done in the temple, okay? Offerings were something done by a, a, a good, devout Jewish person inside the box, uh, following all the rules uh, to God in the temple. Those were the offerings received by God. 
not just giving to the poor from this Roman soldier that, that doesn't engage with the Jewish life, but God says, no, I've received your, off, or your gifts to the poor as an offering to me. That's why Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you are doing to me. Okay, he also said he, he received his prayers. Okay, again, this man, as far as the Jews were concerned, had no business speaking to God. But God received his prayers because he prayed, even though he didn't know who God was, God, uh, or, or he, he knew of God, he didn't, he didn't uh, really understand him or know him uh, clearly. God was hearing his prayers and accepting those prayers. And this is very uncomfortable for the Jewish people, uh, that, that God might include someone like this in his kingdom, in his family. So God has accepted Cornelius, even though his people have not. And number three, we see that God is doing, in this section, we see that God is doing a work in Peter. God is already doing a work in Peter. We see right here that Peter is already on this journey towards understanding that God works more in the context of this centered set type community. I'm sure you didn't have the terminology or the the picture of it, but just in, in understanding that God works more in this way than in a bounded set community. And the reason I say that is um, Cornelius, he, when, it, when he sends the men to Joppa to retrieve Peter, he, he sends him, he says he's staying with a man named Simon who is a tanner. Okay, he's not a spray tanner, though that probably would have made you outside the box as well. Um, a tanner is, is someone who, I just learned this this week, someone who takes the skin off of dead animals and dries it out so it could be used for leather. Okay, if you know a little bit about Jewish custom, that, that's... That's not a good job to have. Okay, you don't touch dead things. Okay, unless you're making a sacrifice, priest making a sacrifice in the temple, the animals, a bunch of rituals to make the animal clean. So he spends his days with dead animals, peeling the skin off these animals and, and making leather out of it. A tanner would be in the same class as a prostitute, same class as the tax collector. All these people that Jesus spent his time with that the Jewish people they wouldn't want to touch. They, they wouldn't want to be seen in the presence of. So Peter's staying at this man's house, and, and um, we see Peter uh, uh, challenging, or at least doing away with, some of these boundaries that exclude people from the Jesus community. We see him on a journey uh, from, from understanding God's family like this, the bounded set, to understanding God's family like this, in a centered set around Jesus. And, and, I mean, we would hope that would be the case. He spent years following Jesus, and Jesus was hanging out with a lot of people who were outside the box, right? Um, but even though he's eliminated some of these behavior and belief boundaries, we see he's still, he's still thinking in terms of in and out. He still has some of these boundaries in his mind that preclude someone from engaging in the family God. We're going to see that in a minute um, as we read the next part of the, the passage. So let's... Let's jump into uh, the, the remainder of our passage. Again, a little bit long here, um, but I think it's pretty interesting. So if you can hear it um, as best as you can and try to, again, it's probably 40 verses, but um, really good stuff here. And Peter is on a journey. God is challenging something in him that, that needs to be changed. And I'll, I'll tell you, this right here changed the course of history. Okay, to have Peter, who is really the leader of this early church movement, reach out and accept a Gentile man into the family of God is the reason that we all sit here today 
as Christians. It's the reason that we uh, uh, follow Jesus and, and aren't uh, Jewish. Okay? So let, let's, um, uh, let's read. Starting in, in verse 9, Peter's going to receive a message from God just as Cornelius did. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision repeated three times. I just realized Peter, lots of stuff needs to happen three times for Peter, right? Jesus he denies Jesus three times. Jesus invites him back into relationship with him three times. I don't know. Just thought of that. Anyway, so three times God says, do not call things that are unclean that I have made clean. Do not call something unclean that I have made clean. Peter was very perplexed by this. What could the vision mean? Just then, men sent, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, we are sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and a God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Okay, so these men come, they get Peter. Now they're going back to Joppa to, uh, to see... Cornelius. I'm sorry, they're going from Joppa to see Cornelius, to Caesarea. Um, Picking up in verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day, and Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside and many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of someone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you have sent for me. Cornelius replied, Four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. 
Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fears. Uh, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel: that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee. After John began pre- preaching his message of baptism, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God has chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him, after he rose from the dead. Then he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we all did? So he gave the orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several, several days. Thank you guys for hanging in there. Okay, long, long one, but I think it's, uh, it's good to just hear that all at once. So we see that Peter receives a vision. Okay, this blanket comes down from heaven and the blanket is filled with all sorts of animals, both clean and unclean, both acceptable under Jewish law for consumption and forbidden. And God tells Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter objects. He says, I I don't eat. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. God says, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. So what does this vision mean? What does it represent? A group of animals, both accepted under the guidelines of Jewish law and forbidden under Jewish law. This represents the church. This represents the body of Christ. That which which was once unclean is now made clean. That which was once uh, excluded is now accepted. Those who were rejected, those who were, uh, who were not welcomed are now welcomed. All, who are, all are welcomed in the kingdom of God. No one is excluded. No Jew or Gentile, no man or woman, no poor or rich, slave or free. Everyone has a place in God's family. And I, and I think we need to stop and, and appreciate how, how radical, how world-changing this revelation is. Again, none of us would be here today as, as people not, not Jewish, not practicing any sort of thing that re- resembles Jewish 
heritage or law, following Jesus. It's the reason people all over the world and in all different countries with all different cultures and traditions are following Jesus. As Peter is processing this vision, three Romans showing up, show up and look for him and, and they take him to Cornelius' house. And, and what does Cornelius do? He falls and worships Peter. And right here, we get, a, we get a picture of Cornelius as falling outside of this box. Okay, we already know he's outside of the box again. Roman centurion, um, but he falls and he, and he worships Peter. And this is something that a Jewish person would never do. Okay. A Jewish man would never worship another human. You only worship God. Okay. No man, no other God, no image, but the Romans, they had many gods. they right. I think 12 is, is the Roman gods. And I'm sure they added others from other, other, uh, countries and, and religions. They also worship Caesar as I said, as a human God. So, so whether or not Cornelius actually believed in the existence and the power of these Roman gods, he certainly engaged in a lifestyle and culture and practices that would ob- observe them, that would be considered worship towards them. You couldn't have the position he had as a, as a captain in Caesar's army without observing Roman customs and culture and religion. Okay, so it's, it's natural for him. This man comes, he's got a message for me. He's a messenger from uh, uh, this, this God, this Jewish God that I, I worship as well, and I, I'm going to worship him. So having, uh, you know, everyone had multiple gods. I mean, this is something that, that other than the Jewish people and, and eventually the, uh, the, the Muslim people, which came many years later, uh, having one God was not even something that they would have thought to, to do. Okay, so this, this Roman centurion surely was worshiping other gods and, and all this stuff. But despite the fact that Cornelius fell so far outside this Jewish uh, box, this parameters for being in the family of God, Peter enters into his home. He enters into relationship with him. He receives him as a brother. Look what Peter says in verse 28. You know it is against our laws for me to come into a home like this, to engage with people like you. It's against Jewish law to do this. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. He's learning that God does not view people in the way that we do. He's not so concerned with in and out based on on our behaviors and beliefs. He's concerned primarily with our posture towards Jesus. Are we moving away from Jesus or towards Jesus? Peter says in verse 34, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. All right what does he mean by do what is right? Okay, it, it sounds like a behavioral parameter there, right? But, but what did Cornelius just do? I mean, he, he fell down and worshiped Peter. Commandment number one, don't have any other gods before me. The second one is don't worship any image or, or idol or, or anything in creation. Okay, so he's 0 for 2 right here in this moment, yet God accepts him into his family. Peter accepts him into relationship with him. Okay, so when he says, do what is right, it's, it's not, it, it, for, for Cornelius, it meant giving to those in need. It meant praying regularly to God, even though he didn't fully understand who God was. He was seeking him. It, it means uh, 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 moving towards God, trying to do uh, what is right, um, even if we don't get it all right. And for Cornelius, he was getting it quite wrong. In this moment, he had a long way to go. 
So ultimately, what is right, as Peter says here, is, is not for us to determine, but for God to determine. And a posture of openness towards Jesus, movement towards God, means that God is doing something in this person. Even if it is, is, is strange and uncomfortable, he's doing something in their heart. He is drawing them to himself. Even if they say things or do things that may seem off to us and, and we want to correct it, um, there might be a time for that and a place for that, but that's, that's not our primary purpose in relationship with people. It's to encourage them to continue on that journey towards Jesus, to walk with them on that journey towards Jesus in, in relationship. God wants us to accept that person that's moving towards him, to be in relationship with that person who's moving towards him because he already has. Who accepted Cornelius first? It wasn't Peter, it was God. God received his offerings. He received his prayers as, as, as offerings to God. God shows no favoritism, but accepts everyone who turns towards him. God is not waiting for us to slip up so he can push us away or shut us out. He is eager to welcome all people in, to include everyone in his family who is open to him. So last comment on this, on this passage, uh, Peter tells Cornelius and everyone in his home about Jesus, right? And they immediately, the Holy Spirit falls on all of them. Yeah, just like it did the Jewish believers at, Je- at Pentecost. I mean, this really amazing moment in, in the history of the church at Pentecost. The same thing happens here. Some people call this the Gentile Pentecost. Okay? The Holy Spirit falls on them. And, and the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed, were amazed by this. After all they had seen Jesus done, or do, after, after uh, all that had happened in the early church community, they are amazed at what they are seeing, that Gentiles would be included uh, in this movement. This is how radical and earth-shattering this truly was. So, so for all these people in Cornelius' home who are, who are far outside this box, they don't practice the right behaviors, they don't have all the right beliefs, all they know is Jesus, and that is enough. Just like the apostles, they are filled with the Spirit, they are, and they are worshiping God, they are baptized in this community. There's no prerequisites other than their posture towards Jesus. The picture that we get of, of this community is a, a community that is centered on Jesus and Jesus alone. No barriers other than a willingness to move towards Jesus. So, so very quickly, how do we respond to this? Um, just want to give one, one illustration of a friend I have in Chicago who works in the neighborhood Rogers Park. Rogers Park has a high, uh, a high population of of Hindu people, actually, just like uh, similar to uh, Paul um, Hebert over in India. And he works with this ministry called Gayan Ratna Mandir. And, and Gayan Ratna Mandir, what that means is a per- pearl of knowledge temple. Okay, so, so what this is, is their mission is to create a Jesus-centered community in the context of a Hindu temple. Okay, so these uh, Indian Hindu people come into this temple and, and they are introduced to Jesus in a similar way that they would uh, celebrate and worship the Hindu gods. Okay, they sing the songs, they, they practice the rhythms, the temple looks very similar, but it's all centered on Jesus. It's all centered on the Bible. And you have people in this, in this neighborhood who have immigrated from India, who, who have been Hindu their whole life, whose culture and understanding of the world is all steeped in, in Hinduism, 
and they're coming to know Jesus and they're becoming disciples of Jesus before they really even call themselves Christian or ever call themselves Christian. Okay, they are Hindus who believe in Jesus. And it doesn't mean they're, they're worshiping. I mean, some of them may, may still be on a journey where they might be uh, still confused about you know, what, what, how does the Hindu God fit in all, but they're on a movement towards Jesus where Jesus becomes their Lord and Savior and the only thing that matters in their lives. Okay, and, and I just think that's such a beautiful picture because what we, we need to do, I mean, this changes how we look at people. When we see people, we don't think first, man, these are the things, these are the behaviors, these are the beliefs that I need to correct. Instead, we are invited to, to ask what is God doing in this person's life? What is he doing in his heart? How is he trying to turn this person towards him? And how can I be a part of that? How can I join them in that? As, as I myself am doing the same thing, every single day we need to turn our attention off to all the things that, that we're tempted to move towards and tempted to look at and tempted to grasp for our identity and purpose and value. And we're called to turn towards Jesus. And just like everyone else that is in this centered set uh, uh, picture of a community we we may be close we may be far but what matters is where are we moving are we moving towards jesus are we turning away from the things that pull us away from jesus and moving towards him so um i think this needs to be said uh but what this does not mean is that god's not concerned with our behaviors and beliefs it does not mean he's not concerned with our behaviors and beliefs. Following Jesus, as we all know, involves, involves the most radical life change imaginable. Okay, radical life change. When we follow Jesus, we will most certainly become more generous. We will most certainly become more humble, more patient, more kind, more loving to all people if we're truly following Jesus. But what this tells us is, is that though that radical life change happens, it looks different for everyone. Everyone is on a different journey. And when we wall people out, and I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys don't think of people in this way. But when we wall people out, we are missing the opportunity to be a part of their journey towards Jesus. So and why I say this, one, because it fits with this passage. Um, again, I know that you guys know this. I know that you're practicing this. But as we move along in these communities, as we move along Hope Church, there's always going to be that temptation to set up barriers. There's always going to be this temptation to wall people out. We have our community. We like our community. It's comfortable. There's people in it that, that God's working in, and that's great. But, but then what, what about the people on the outside? What about the people that we see at our work, see at our neighborhood? We, we need to always be asking and challenging ourselves, how do we create space for them? How do we create space for others? So as, as time goes on, as we see more people come into our communities, as we see our communities grow stronger and more in love with Jesus and more in love with one another, okay, the answer is continue to create space for people to step in and show others in your community how to do that. Continue to invite people into spaces where they can experience and encounter Jesus wherever they are at in life. People that would never step foot into this setting where we are looking at the Bible and, and, and singing songs or people that would never step foot into a church building or maybe even never step foot into our backyard to study the Bible on Wednesday nights or on Tuesday nights. We always want to be creating spaces where people can encounter Jesus. And I know uh, we're ready to, to worship, but I want to give you this one last picture because I think it's catchy and memorable. 
Um, but it's this idea of uh, uh, we want to dig wells rather than build fences. Okay, and what I mean by that is when you herd cattle, okay, no, has anyone heard herded cattle? Herd, is herded, is that a verb? Herded, I, okay. If you herd cattle, there's a couple different ways of doing it, I've been told. Uh, one way is probably the most common around here, and that's build a fence. So you take your herd of cattle, you put them on your property, on your land, and you build a fence. And you know they're your cattle because they're inside your fence. The cattle outside your fence, not your cattle. It's your neighbor's cattle or some, something. Wild cattle. Is there wild cattle in Montana? Montana may actually do the well. Uh, all right, so, so another way of herding cattle is very popular in Australia and places where there's wide open country and, and not as much, uh, you know, thinking about prop, mine, yours, property. It's, it's digging a well. So you take your cattle, you dig a well in a land where there's no, there's not water. They can't go to a lake or a stream and, and get water. To get water that sustains their life, they have to come back to the well. So every day they come to the well, they drink from the well as you draw water from that well, and then they go out and they graze in the wide open land, no fences to hold them in. What keeps them together is the well, their source of life. How do we dig wells where people can, take, can taste the life-giving presence of Jesus rather than build fences and say, you're in, you're out? How can we invite people to drink from the well? We can do it every single day, wherever you're at. Okay, so that's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about as Brian, as Brian uh, leads us in this song, um, uh, this is going to be a reflective song to start. Uh, take, take your time. Think about a few people in your life. If, if you're at a place where you can do this, think about a few people in your life who, who are, would be outside this box. If we were to make this box and, and say this is what makes someone in and out think people that are outside maybe they've put themselves outside maybe we've put them outside and and ask the question how can i give them a taste from the well this week maybe it's a co-worker maybe it's a neighbor okay maybe it's just maybe you just give them a word of encouragement or 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 tell them that they are seen that that you know their name that you care about them Maybe it's a conversation about Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life. How can you meet that person wherever they're at and rather than try to move them in the box, try to turn them towards Jesus? How can we ourselves this week do the same? And I think a big part of that is by thinking about others. How can we turn towards Jesus this week? So, so Brian, uh, you can lead us in this uh, song, a few songs, and let's uh, move into a time of reflection. sermon podcast is written and produced by freshly squeezed music you can check them out on spotify apple or wherever you get your music thanks for listening